All right, and we're back in 2021 with uh, ERW Podcast. Um, we have Nathan of the Saints of the new of the PP Conference, our new Saints, joining us today. Um, here to talk about the dispersal draft that went on, um, his first opportunity with tags, uh, upcoming RFA, uh, and maybe a little. Uh, take on the rookie draft that's that's incoming as well. Um, Nate, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your love of the Saints? I don't think anybody really knows about that yet. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Gergi. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me, Matt. Um, yeah, no, guys, it's yeah, it's great to be part of Rust Wars. Obviously, um, I'm one of the newbies uh, in, in 2021. Um yeah, just just looking at the Saints and, and sort of the history behind it. So, um, I am as as you can probably pick up by the accent straight away. I've actually got a bit of a South African twang. So uh, I, I was born in uh, in England, actually in the United Kingdom, but grew up in South Africa. So I did all my schooling in South Africa, uh, junior school, high school, uh, university, college, um, and it actually started um, sort of around uh, two thousand five. Uh, to 2009 I was actually at high school then at the time and um, and I yeah I'm, I'm just I absolutely love all my sports I love my my cricket predominantly but lots of rugby lots of uh, European sports and um, and then and then sort of a few of my mates started getting into Madden and into the NBA and and into the NHL and and sort of American sports were suddenly sort of on on the on, on the TV and everyone was getting into them so um I played a lot of Madden when I was younger with with my mates at high school. But um, the school I actually attended in South Africa, uh, the high school that I attended, uh, is a school called Hilton College. And our emblem of the school is actually the fleur de lis, the same as the Saints. So pretty much just off the bat, it was really purely just the coincidence with the logo. And I saw the fleur de lis, I was like, yeah, that's going to be my team and we'll see what happens. Um, if I'm very honest, I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to the nitty gritty side of the NFL at the time, I sort of it was purely Madden and enjoyment and sort of gaming, um, and and it was little little did I know that obviously uh, they'd go on to win the Super Bowl. This was sort of the start of the the Breeze Payton sort of era, and and it was actually a really good exciting time um, to be watching the Saints. Um, I sort of I, I travelled a bit sort of after university, spent some time out in New Zealand, and got back to London where I've been living now for the last five years. I live in London, UK. And um, over the last five years has really been the, the sort of start of, of the, the real passion for fantasy football. Um, so there's been a big drive in London and in the UK um, for the NFL. And it gets great coverage. Um, we get all the red zone stuff on the Sundays. Um, college football still has quite a Bit to sort of live up to and I'm sure that sort of wave will eventually find us in the UK but there is a big following now for the NFL obviously all those games in London and Wembley and in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, I try to get out at, at least make sure I get to those international games uh, once a year um, I saw the Seahawks versus um, the Rams I think it was or I think it was the Seahawks versus the Raiders and then the Rams the, the previous year when, when Cooper Cup went off and he had a big year um, but nonetheless yeah it's really just been a, a sort of the last five years getting into fantasy football 
um, trying to find a few leagues where 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 I enjoy what I'm doing and uh, and yeah and, and and it's been a pretty rocky rocky roller coaster supporting the Saints over the last couple of years. <laughs> well, they've certainly had some success. They've just never gotten back. Uh, they've had a few a few heartbreaks. Um, uh, Stefan Diggs, Hail Mary, and uh, wow. pass interference yeah. that was never called. Um, or was that them that made the – they have the no Look, call or were they the team that didn't get the call? No, it was uh, – yeah, it was, it was uh, the no call um, from the Rams. Uh, their corner took out um, our wide receiver. I think it was Tommy Lee – Tommy Lee Stevens or Tommy Lee Williams yes, or someone yeah. on the way. So, yeah, and that, um, that kind of propelled the Rams to the Super Bowl against New England, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, although I'll, I'll be the first to admit that although these sort of calls and moments have gone against the Saints, I think I think the Saints have poorly managed games in the playoffs. So sure. it, 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 it's, it's, it's not me saying we're unlucky not to be in the Super Bowl. To a certain extent, we aren't. But we, we are unlucky. But, but the reality is the teams that we put out on those days should have won those games retrospectively quite comfortably. So, yeah, I, I, I try not to be too arrogant or too sort of opinionated on the Saints and relatively level-headed, but we, we sort of fluffed our chances. We, we're the ones to blame, really, for not, for not actually getting to a Super Bowl since, yeah, since we won the, won the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, think, um, I think I've cheered for the Saints once in my life, and it was the Super Bowl against the Colts. Yep. Um, Same here. You'll, Same you'll here. learn I'm not much of a, a Manning fan. So um, I've actually cheered for the Bears before in my life too. And it was against the Super Bowl. It was in the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning as well. I didn't oh, get wow. lucky on that one um, just because of Rex Grossman. So at least the Saints had Drew Brees. Yeah. Well, I, we, I'm, I'm sure uh, previous Nathan uh, on that day would have really appreciated your guys' support and, uh, and good karma <laughs> on the day. <laughs> Matt, as a uh, as a Seahawks fan, have you ever found yourself cheering for the Saints? Just the Super Bowl. The the onside kick was uh, certainly a, a risky move. <laughs> but uh, I think, once the bounty the gate only, stuff happens, I was I was out. I was no way. I think the only guy I really remember is Tracy Porter when he he picked off Manning and yeah and ran it back the other way. Yeah, that was that was a good play. That got me out of my seat. All right, Nathan. Um, one of the reasons we have you on, not just because you're a, a new guy and uh, we like to get some faces to the names, but um, we kind of wanted to get your insight on the dispersal draft um, that happened recently. Um, three teams, three new teams uh, in the PP conference, yourself, uh, Paul, and Ford participated. Um, you had the first pick and then you were also put into chapter seven. Um, I, I guess if you can kind of give us your thoughts on your team, your strategy, um, maybe some thoughts you have on joining chapter seven. Um, I think that, that would be a good place for us to start. Yeah, no, thanks. Good. Yeah. Look, um, yeah, look, I was, I was, I was pretty fortunate that I was, I was sort of, the early bird, in 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 the sense that I was the first sort of uh, uh, manager to sort of get through uh, the interrogation process. So, yeah, when when I was sort of given the options to 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 start off the draft to go one hundred one, one hundred two, one hundred three, um, 
yeah, I had obviously done enough homework to sort of look at the, the sort of assets and players that were available to me at the time. And the first thing I noticed straight away was that, the, that there were not many running backs on offer um, in the dispersal. Um, and that was a concern for me early doors because I knew if I, if I did go the 101, I would probably miss out on the two running backs, which were Saquon and Alvin Kamara. Um, and, and, and I always sort of felt if I went 102 and went in the middle, then if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I, I, I don't like sort of being in the middle of, of a three-way dispersal. I hadn't been one before, but I quite like the idea of having two picks either side to sure. sort of at least take two players and go from there. And then, and, and then a 103, I was sort of giving away Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert, which I knew would, in my opinion, were going to be the first two picks. Um, so, yeah, so, so then starting off, um, obviously, with the 101, I went with Kyler Murray. Um, just, yeah, to me, it was a no-brainer. It was him or Herbert. And I felt, I felt Kyler Murray, although the, his contract was slightly shorter than Herbert, I could have built with Herbert for, for a longer period of time. I feel that Murray is, is in my opinion, a top five fantasy quarterback where, where he, he, sh he could carry teams on game days, on game weeks, and, and he could be a player that, that, that makes you almost a compete now team. That was the original sort of idea is, is to go in with the strongest sort of quarterback that can, that can bring back sort of rewards as early as possible. Um, obviously, obviously, it sort of panned out. Justin Herbert goes going next expected. Then Saquon, Stefan Diggs and Alvin Kamara leaving me with a situation that straight away I saw I don't have a running back there. Well, I think the next best running back was um, was Raheem Mostert or or Leonard Fournette or even David Montgomery, which to me was a huge risk. And and as soon as those two running backs went, I I then immediately in in round two I said, okay, I, I'm 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 building for the future. I'm 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 gonna. Kyler Murray is my quarterback, but he's young. Fortunately, he should hopefully have quite a few more years under his belt. And yeah, when the tags come around in three years' time, you can obviously see what you want to do with Murray. But the two running backs going before it even got to my second pick, that pretty much made my decision where I said, look, I have to build for the future. And that's why the, the second, uh, my second pick was the 102, uh, just to give me that flexibility that I can either go with the quarterback or I could go with an elite running back or even an elite, elite receiver. It gives me some flexibility and also some potential trade capital as well. Um, and then looking and sort of looking into the, the rules and regulations behind roster wars um, and trying to stay young. Um, I wouldn't say I'm Brandon Ayuk's biggest fan. Um, I, I, I rate him. I think he's a good young wide receiver. I think in a team like San Francisco, um, before, obviously, their trades and then moving up to the 103, I was a little bit more sort of not convinced by by sort of the receiving core there. I think a lot, a lot of a lot of pressure is put on someone like George Kittle. I think he sees the majority of the targets there. Um, and Jimmy G is is Jimmy G. I, I won't, I don't want, like he, he is he, he gives you what he is. Um, so so I went with Brandon Ayuk, and also the main reason why is because he was on the taxi squad, which to me gave me more op op options there. It opened more doors. I can I can give him a, a contract as long as I feel. Or, or on, on the flip side, if someone wants to poach him, I get a first-round pick for him as well. Um, so it was just trying to keep as many doors open as possible for, 
for it and as many options and, and just see sort of how it plays out. It was I felt it was quite conservative, but I felt that it was it was the safe play at the time to sort of go for someone on open contract there. Um, yeah, Goji, sort of going back to your, your initial questions, in terms of the chapters, chapter seven, eight, nine, um, I'm not, yeah, being relatively new, I don't think I know too much of the history and of the strengths behind each of the chapters as of yet. Obviously, each chapter was was receiving a new a new manager, so it was sort of something I looked into. I think I think Leone and 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 the, and the Steel City Devils. I think they won the the minor league last year, didn't they? Correct. Was yes. to be corrected? Yeah. So so I naturally assume that they might be another sort of relatively competitive side. And I think I stand to be corrected, but I think they're in Chapter Eight. Um, yes. And so look, neither here nor there. Um, I don't know too much about the PP, but to be in a, in, a, in 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 chapter seven with uh, with Carla, with Brian, and with um, with Bob, I think. Look, I'm I'm, I'm excited nonetheless, and I think they, I think Bob's got quite a lot of players going on to RFA, so I think he'll be quite busy um, this this RFA period coming up. Um, I think Brian's also still relatively new to the league, and I think he's he's rolled. A, few, a bit of a bit of a, a dice roll to take on to Sean Watson, and who knows how that will play out for him. And and I think Carla's just obviously a pretty experienced head, and she knows what she's doing. So I think um, it'll be important for me just to try find my feet. But I, I felt like I've I've, I've built a, a solid infrastructure really, or a solid base for 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 the side that I put together really. Yeah, I think um, you'll definitely have. Uh, a, a challenge on your hands so you'll know when you have a good team when you're the top of that division um, just because the other three owners are are very good um, I know like you said Brian is very new to uh, roster wars um, I do play in other leagues with Brian um, and he a very solid owner um, obviously Bob's competitive every year and, you know, the same with Carla, she's not only competitive in the minor leagues, but she's also competitive in the main league. So yeah, you know, she, she's throwing two teams out there and she's a force, you know, in, in both leagues that she participates in. So, um, yeah, you know, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best as they say. So yeah, um, absolutely. that's definitely a, a, a division challenge for you. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, I think it's a, it's exciting, regardless, to to to, to be started. But um, as you say, if, if if you can get through that sort of chapter and, and get through it confidently, then you'd like to hope you've got a the, the base or the core of a team or, or a starting lineup that will hopefully challenge in, in the playoffs and down the line as well. Yes, exactly. Um, one thing I noticed that you had said um, on the Ayuk pick was kind of giving yourself some flexibility, um, kind of a safety net as well. Uh, looking at the start of your draft, you took three first-round picks in your first uh, six picks. Um, is that kind of off the same mentality? Kind of gives you that flexibility where? Yeah, yes, to a certain extent. Look, as, as I sort of mentioned to you before we sort of started the pod, my 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 IDP experience, I'll, I'll be very honest, is is not substantial. So I think looking at defensive players, I always felt that I was going to be slightly out of my depth. And that's some, some, an area um, for roster was I'm definitely going to have to do some more homework uh, come the RFA period and come the, the off-season leading up to the season. Um, 
So I knew I was my, my, my sort of knowledge of, of the defensive positions was was slightly lacking. And and looking at the the offensive players that were on the board at the time, I just I just didn't feel confident enough that there were enough young studs or, or as I said, the running back was very low or was very tight. You only had really Barkley and Kamara. Then at wide receiver, Diggs had already gone by the one or two, and Juju had gone, and then Alan Robinson had gone as well. Um, I, you, you could say I sort of missed on them. And then even someone like DJ Chark, who went a little bit later, I'm a fan of DJ Chark, and I think DJ Chark has the potential to to have a big year this year with 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 Trevor Lawrence, and and if DJ Chark becomes his predominant uh, predominant or, or, or prime focus receiver, but there's still quite a lot of question marks and and. And at that stage, I just felt, look, if if I can be cheeky enough here to steal three first-round picks, go in with Kyle and Mary, Brandon Ayuk, Mark Andrews, I I I think I'm 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 making myself really very relevant early doors. And I think I think those first-round picks are very are very good to have in your first year because it gives you that the freedom of picking those players, putting on the, them on the contract links that you need. Or on the flip side, it, it gives you that flexibility of, of sort of trading that out, um, looking for sort of good trade value with, with, the, with other owners in the league. Um, and just something that I picked up actually listening to your guys to this podcast um, beforehand when I first joined is I think those those picks towards the end of the round, those 110s, 111s, 112s, second round, third round, all the late those late picks are, are, are can be very advantageous when looking at poaching players, uh, when looking at trading to someone else, and also when the tags come up, is looking at your franchise tag players, your transition tag players, which so to me the, the 110 is actually in my opinion, it's probably slightly more valuable than the 106 as it stands. And that's something that hopefully in the RFA, when we get around to it, the people are, are looking to uh, to steal anyone on a franchise tag. I hope, uh, I hope to see some offers for the 110. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and I, I think I've, I've seen a thread before where um, it even makes a few owners upset that guys would like to trade down to get that 112 to trade for a franchise tag. But that's the whole thing. A first-round pick is a first-round pick. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's your second overall pick or if it's the 12th overall pick. If it has that one in front of it, it's worthy of a franchise tag player. So, yeah, it's huge. And then when you come to poaching, I I think from doing the dispersal on the, on the back end, I think Ayuk is a 2.11 pick. Yeah, so exactly. You're you're exactly right that you know if somebody poaches that it's a huge payoff for you to get that first round pick if that was to happen or you know when when contract assignment period comes you can assign whatever contract you deem fit and you know it can be any yeah, number exactly. of years. I I I saw Ayuk as you say I, I saw Ayuk there's He's he is Brandon Ayuk on, on, on a zero contract with, with the flexibility, or, or he's the one twelve or one eleven. It's to me, it's exactly the same. It, to me, that was the same value. So, so that is why uh, I sort of looked at it, and, and and I've always been a firm believer. I think in 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 dynasty leagues, um, I think the value really is in your wide receivers, or at least your 
when you are building for the future, I think you do want to be focusing on your receivers ahead of your running backs because the this sort of period of 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 prime or in the pinnacle is is in my opinion a lot less consistent, a lot less durable than than your receivers. I would agree, um, and I think that I don't think there's any players that went or after your 106 or 110 picks that I would trade one of those picks for like. Yeah, you you missed on DJ Chark, but given the opportunity to trade 110 for DJ Chark, I don't think I would do it. So I think that yeah. I would rather have that that 10th pick than Chark anyways. Um, I guess I, I do want to ask about um, your Warbucks picks, though, that you went um, 8, 9, and 11 with. Um, seeing where you are now post-tags, do you feel that players at that point maybe had more value than that pile of Warbucks that you should have nabbed instead? Or, or do you feel like because Warbucks are at such a premium come RFA that that stack of 34 within those three picks is, is worth it there? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, I think the reality that the major league RFA um, was in session whilst we were doing our dispersal. I think that might have, to a certain extent, sort of crowded, or at least, at least, sort of fogged up my view or judgment on the on the on the warbucks. And I think, as I said earlier, w- with the two running backs going off pretty early from 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 the start, I just in in the back of my mind, I'm just t- telling myself now, whenever I'm making a pick, I want someone ideally that's on a contract. Uh, preferably, I want someone ideally that's still quite young, um, and and I want flexibility. So I either want picks. Um, the Warbucks, be, be, because I didn't necessarily know the value of the Warbucks, um, or at least relative to sort of the league, I I could uh, I could definitely debate that maybe I did reach quite a bit for those those pairs of twelve Warbucks and ten Warbucks. Someone like David Montgomery went after went after both my Warbucks picks, which I think he would have been a great asset to my team, opposed to say one maybe one of those batch of Warbucks uh, is taking Montgomery there. However, I, I still see the value in those Warbucks, and I think mm-hmm. um, just the sort of the way um, this year, the sort of the, the the draft went, I think. And knowing that I didn't actually, I haven't ended up using too many tags either myself. I'm in a, a strong situation that 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 I do have a bit of warbucks to play around with come RFA to either protect the guys that I have on, potentially look at some franchise tag players and be competitive on them, or on the flip side, just sort of ride it out and and see where we end up after a year or two. Yeah. So um, just to give some insight for discussion, you are the the fourth highest uh, balance of Warbucks in your conference. So um, you're exactly right that you do have quite a bit to, to um, utilize and, you know, grabbing picks like that or grabbing packs like that with your picks obviously led to you being um, fourth highest there. There are two, uh, two big stacks, the Tremors and the Falcons um, yeah. that, that should be able to easily push some people around on players they want. Um, but you're, you're neck and neck with the demons, you know, three and four, um, everybody else's is, is quite a ways behind you. Um, yeah. so, so you definitely do have that for RFA, 
Um, but I, I was definitely curious on, on your thoughts on, you know, because of how weak the running back class was, was it, would it have been more worth um, a David Montgomery than maybe that second pack or, um, you know, even a, a, a Joey Bosa or um, maybe even, maybe even those early seconds, you know, just, I was just curious your thoughts now that you've seen where Warbucks stand post tags and, and RFA incoming. Um, I guess, Matt, kind of looking at his first, let's go with the first 15 picks, kind of where that, that fourth pack of Warbucks is. Um, he definitely followed his plan. He's got young guys. Um, you, you see the plan coming together. Um, and, and, Kind of like Nathan had said too, he he feels like he might be a little out of his element at the, this point on IDP until he does some more um, research. So um, his first IDP pick was not until the until round sixteen with with Montez Sweat. But I, I guess looking at his his top fifteen picks there, how do you like that as a, as the foundation of his team? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of good young players, and I think everyone kind of noticed the Tua versus not taking, taking the 12 Warbucks before Tua was probably the first spot where I think a lot of minor leaguers kind of said like, that was probably a mistake. Um, but I mean, those Warbucks are always the toughest challenges, you know, learning the value as a new person. I guess I'm interested in, you know, the reasoning and the thoughts behind drafting zero year players. I noticed like Darius Leonard here, for instance, at 13, Oh, sorry, I missed up, him. That's your yeah, first IDP. Sorry but I mentioned that. him because he ended up franchising tagging him. And so did, did you draft those players with a tag in mind? And even guys I noticed on your roster, um, like Fournette and Zach Ertz, who you didn't end up tagging, um, it, like what was kind of your mindset going into those picks? Yeah. Um, yeah, so so as, as I sort of mentioned, I think – I think Goji also missed. Um, I took Nick Bosa actually at the seven. He was my oh, first man. Of IDP yeah. IDP too. off off, uh, off off the board there. Um, Sorry, I need a new optometrist. Clearly, no, don't don't don't, don't <laughs> stress. Um, yeah, look in in terms of in terms of sort of Darius Leonard. Um, I, as I mentioned, my sort of my IDP knowledge isn't is necessarily there, and, and that's something that I'm obviously going to have to learn pretty quickly to keep up. Um, but obviously, I knew that there was quite a lot of value in the linebackers, um, and I and I just sort of had a look through the list of linebackers, and I I'll put my hands up, and I actually just genuinely got uh, the calculations a bit wrong, and I probably should have gone for someone like Joe Schobert over someone like Darius Leonard. But nonetheless, I still felt that someone like Darius Lennon was an elite linebacker and someone that is either going to get value in a trade or someone that if I was to tag could could well get a first round pick for him. Or on the flip side, I, I can easily end up, because I do have the flexibility of having the Warbucks, if I want to keep him around and put him on a longer term contract, I can do that as well. Um, so it's more sort of looking back in hindsight now that Luckily, I do have the wall bucks to sort of keep them if I really want to. Um, but also at the same stage, I think, I think, yeah, I was, I was looking at certain sort of defensive players that, that hopefully had a, a couple of year contracts. Nick Bosa had, had I think, two, two years on his deal. Montez Sweat had one or two. So, yeah, those were sort of the, the, the options really defensively. But, yeah, as, as mentioned, I think um, I was really looking to focus predominantly on picks 
um, wallbacks just to sort of keep my options open and 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 some uh, and some offensive players really. Yeah, I mean, I I like your start. Um, a lot of young guys. Um, definitely some players that I would have would have taken as well. Um, high upside, I think. Um, you know, you, you you don't know what the floor is on some of these guys, um, yeah. but the upside is definitely there. Um, you know, with with Ayuk, Tua. Mims, Rugs, um, it's it's crazy to think how early Rugs was going a year ago at this time, you know, yeah, in, in rookie exactly. drafts, and and now there there's no respect for him. But you know, the Raiders love speed. I, who knows if he'll end up being another Darius Hayward Bay and just really never pan out. And um, but who knows? He he could take that big step in his second year. Um, I guess looking at the other teams, Nathan, um, were there any picks that there was a guy that you were really looking at that maybe Paul took right before you or some guys that you kept looking at but eventually fell and you still got anyway? Uh, were there any were there any uh, any guys like that? I guess any players that you really had an eye on and either missed or thought you got excellent value on. So so Blake Martinez was the first one that I, that I felt I missed on. Um, I would have, in hindsight, I, I probably would have liked him maybe over Mark Andrews. I, look, it I I like the idea of Blake Martinez on on, on quite a good contract as well. Um, so I was a little bit, I was a little bit gutted for him to go, but I still think at that, at that high value, I was, I was pretty still, I was happy nonetheless with with Andrews, even though he was on a Nokia contract. That you could, I was sort of planning on extending him or tagging him regardless. Um, then just sort of skimming down the first sort of fifteen rounds, really, some of the players that, yeah, I, I think I missed on on, on Montgomery. I think uh, against some of the, those those warbucks. Um, also, those those quarterbacks. I I know this might sound quite silly, but I am I would have preferred to get Daniel Jones ahead of Tua, and I just feel like he's just got a few more assets this year. Um, I am I, I'm not his biggest fan, but I don't know. I just I'm not necessarily convinced by Tua on the flip side. I've actually been sort of looking at trading him or at least advertising him in the PP over the last sort of couple of weeks for as a trade sort of trade bait. Um, and I've had a few back and forths with, with a few of the, the teams there, but nothing sort of uh, tangible yet. Um, but yeah, I would say even Baker as well. I think Baker's improved quite a bit. He's, he's obviously sort of turned things down, but his, his sort of turnovers are a bit less, it seems. Um and then, and then individuals like Joey Bosa. I was, I was, I was going to go Joey Bosa and Mims. If Joey Bosa had fallen to me, I was going Joey Bosa and Mims. But because Bosa was taken just before Mims, I had to sort of look at. at in my opinion, by then, I, I needed to actually start addressing my defense, and that's why I did go with Darius Leonard um, there at the start of the thirteenth. Um, Dallas Goddard, I've got a lot of time for as well. Um, especially now with 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 sort of Ertz, we're not too sure what, what the situation, the Titan situation is going to be in Philly and whether Ertz can can utilize that. But um, yeah, there are a few guys that I felt that I did miss on, but 
nonetheless, I was relatively happy with with where I was sitting after 15. I, I felt like I'd I'd executed the plan that I sort of embraced from the end of the second round. Um, at the end of the second round, when there's as I'm sorry, I, I probably sound like a broken record, but when when I realised the two running backs had gone, I was like, look, all I need here is options for me, um, quite a few high picks and some young receivers and just a young base of the team that I can sort of try build around and hopefully uh, get on a few good good contracts and and build from there really. Um, I guess uh, uh, well, first just a little bit of. Uh, a stat I had heard was that um, just kind of looking at your team, you you had um, mentioned Fournette, I think, before we, we started recording. Um, yeah. So one thing I had heard that was really interesting to me was that, um, you know, obviously we all watched the Buccaneers last year and we you never knew if it was the Rojo show or if it was Fournette, you know, what was going on. When one was hurt or sat out like Jones did due to a fumble, they had, when it was a one-man show, each week, one of them was an RB1 that week in the top yeah. 12. When they both played and shared time, neither one was ever higher than an RB40 that week. Yeah. So when Jones is out, getting Fournette in the 25th round is huge value. But if he's not the guy he's going to be quite the headache. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I was, I, yeah, I was, I was skeptical on, on Fournette. Look, as we all know, there, there weren't many running backs on offer in the, in this dispersal, but, but Fournette would have been one of the ones that do that, that, or that at least does have potential upside. If he ends up being the starting running back or winning that job and they absolutely run him into the ground on a one-year contract this year, he could be a, he could be a RB one in the league. He could very well be. Um, but it just doesn't seem like Tampa had the, the faith or the sort of, um, yeah, it just didn't seem like they had the faith in them during the, the regular season last year. And then he obviously went to town in, in the offseason, uh, in the postseason, sorry. And, um, and I think the fact that he didn't come back, he didn't sign immediately with the Tampa Bucks was enough to sort of, pre-warn me that I think I think Fournette's gone out there, he's looked for a deal, hasn't been offered anything, and he's gone back to Tampa and taken what he can get. Yep. Um the fact now in hindsight, look, obviously them signing Gio Bernard was was after the dispersal, but it, I think that is what basically stopped me from putting any sort of tag on Fournette as well. Um look Fournette's not not the biggest sort of uh, receiving back. Um, but but still, those are still targets and touches that that are going to be murkied up even more in that backfield. You've got a youngster as well, old Keyshawn Vaughn there, who's who's half decent as well. I think so. So, so it's quite it's quite an overcrowded backfield. Um, mm -hmm. I I decided to not. I was I was really toying up with with the three options on Fournette. The the, the one option was to go transition tag twenty five Warbucks and and hopefully get a second round pick for him and let the person take him and get a second-round pick for Leonard Fournette. The other option was to potentially comp tag him um, and hope that I just get my money back and more. Um, and then the third option was just not tag him and just see what happens. Um, I, went, I went probably with the, with the, with the whistle, with, with, the, with the poor 
uh, or, or more conservative view and said, look, let's just leave him out there on RFA. If if he if he is going cheaply, then I can probably take him at, at whatever price he is or sort of match it and, and re-sign him on another year or two if I want to and just buy myself a bit more time and a bit more information. Um, but also on the flip side, if he goes, he goes and we sort of move on. So, yeah, it was it was difficult to tell, but... I think I think as I sort of mentioned to you guys earlier, I didn't sort of make it very clear, but I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't be overspending on running backs until you are genuinely uh, a contender, or at least you convince that you're a contender. I feel that any sort of excess expense on a running back now could easily be very wasted. If I went and put 25 war bucks, for example, on a transition tag on on Fournette and and no one sort of goes in from him and I get him back and I spend 25 war bucks on him and he doesn't even get the starting job. To me, it's a waste of 25 war bucks. Yep. So there, there were just a lot of question marks on Fournette. That's why I sort of let him go to RFA and, uh, and I'm sure we'll find out in a couple of weeks what happens with him. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense um, in in the choosing what type of, of tag to apply and what guys to use it on. Um, I guess to sum up the dispersal, I know we still have RFA and we still have the rookie draft, including you having currently three first-round picks. But how do you see your your team stacking up for 2021? Where where do you see yourself within your conference? Do you think you can? Are you looking to to make a push for the playoffs in this first year? Do you think you have the team for it? Do you think it's a a building season yet? What what are your thoughts? Okay, I I, I feel that. On on offense, I've got a lot of very good young players that are that have got good contracts. I think Kyler Murray, Tua, Ayuk, Mims, Ruggs, Van Jefferson, even Mark Andrews now on extension. These guys are all sort of under the age of 26, 25. So they've all got their, their full careers still to come. Um, and I think I, I quite like that. It's sort of a, a let, let me gauge, let me see what where where the offense sort of goes this season. Um, on defense, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm going to be needing to do quite a bit more homework and and just sort of seeing who is worth sort of giving a, a long contract to, who's worth investing in, what sort of uh, specific positions I need to focus in the RFAs, like your linebackers, who I can maybe pick up um, maybe one or two defensive tackles to sort of uh, focus on. Um, I... I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a natural optimist. So I, I would quietly like to hope that I could get close to the playoffs. Um, I feel that my team is definitely not a win-now team, but I feel that my team has weapons in it that should they have big seasons, I could be a, I feel I could be a competitive side. I feel that Kyler Murray could have a, an MVP season, for example. He, he's, got, he's got the feet for it and he's got the arm. Then any one of those, those four first or now second year receivers, they could easily have big breakout years. Um, so I do I do feel that there's enough there to be competitive. But if if I am honest, I'm not I'm not trying to win any championship in year one. I'm really sort of playing the water, will try to be relatively risk averse in my first year, use those picks as wisely as I can, sort of build a good infrastructure and 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 see and see where I can sort of pick up on the sides. I think I've got the Warbucks in the bank now. I've got three first round picks. I've got a young receiving call. Um, some pretty, 
I'm pretty happy with with where I stand after the dispersal and going into 2021 season. All right, we are going to move into RFA now. Um, Sam and Bob were nice enough to give us this little uh, sheet here. I haven't been able to update mine um, to send out to these guys, so we're going to uh, utilize theirs. Um, we all really enjoy Toontown Pink Poodles, though, rather than Warlocks. <laughs> that, that sums it up very well. I didn't even notice that <laughs> until you just said that right now. <laughs> Uh, so Matt, I, I guess if we can touch on yours, it looks like you declined the super franchise tag. Um, you did utilize the other, uh, tags that you have. Um, if you can kind of touch on those and, and let us know if there was maybe anybody that you, um, might've tagged. I don't want you to give away too much information. I know RFA is, is upcoming. So, um, I don't, I don't expect you to, um, give away any secrets or strategy, but, but tell us what you can. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I, we talked a lot about this before, but I think Nathan kind of summed it up pretty well there in terms of the approach, right? You want to pick guys where if they get nominated, you could swallow the pill and say like, Hey, I could take the pick for this guy and I'll be perfectly content. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to go into it like hoping somebody's going to bid you know, at the end of the day, if nobody bids and you end up with the guy, then you, you have to be, you know, happy with that as well. Um, so I think that was kind of the general approach, you know, especially with the franchise tag and the transition tags. Um, and then my thought on the comp tag is you should always use it if you're going to make a profit. Um, Nathan brought up an interesting point there where, you know, you could pick a guy like Fournette where maybe you'll make a slight profit, but also you want to retain that flexibility to kind of win him back, you know, if you get more information. You know, if it's a guy that you like and you actually want to win the bid, then maybe you don't want to contact him because that prevents you from from getting him back on your team. So I think that was kind of the strategy there with Gaskin is, is hey, I'll take the profit. I'm not too attached. Um, and then extending, you know, I'm always going to extend the guy, you know, the best player on my team pretty much rather than trying to use it on a zero year. We talked a lot about that before. Same with the Super franchise. I don't think it's worth it except for a couple few guys. Um but yeah, definitely some interesting tags. I don't know, Haji, if you noticed any interesting ones. I mean, the one that stuck out to me was was extending a cornerback. Um, of course, it was Ford, so it's his first RFA. Um, probably cut him a break there, but I don't know if anything else stuck out to you guys. Yeah, that one um, definitely did uh, to me as well. Um, in talking about earlier the, the bigger stacks in, in PP, um, Blake being the third biggest stack, but then utilizing his comp tag on DeForest Buckner. I'm not certain that I would want to just lose Buckner, especially if I'm not a low stack in the conference. Um, he's relying on, you know, most of the conference has less, less war bucks than he does. So it's kind of putting a lot of hope in the rest of the conference to, to pay you off on him. Um, you know, the, the difference in our thinking, I, I franchise Buckner. So like it, for me, it's, I don't, I don't know that that's odd to me, but you know, maybe, maybe I'm off base there and it, and Buckner's the type of guy to put on a comp tag um, because he's a young um defensive tackle and they score a ton in in roster wars 
and maybe someone would pay you off, but not when you're the third highest stack in your conference. That's the Rottweiler's approach to dynasty building right there. <laughs> Just maximize <laughs> your war bucks. But I mean, honestly, we've been saying this for years is when is somebody going to put a big name guy on a cop tag and just rake in the money and take over the big stack? And I think Buckner might be the best guy we've ever seen on a comp tag, at least here in the It's possible. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I was very close to putting Wilson on my comp tag. But my thought was that if he goes early, I could get upwards of 150 Warbucks for him. But if he goes late, I may be losing Russell Wilson for 45 Warbucks. Yeah. And and that's that would be a tough loss. I mean, that's that's a real kick in the chicklets to lose a guy like that in roster wars for that cheap. Yeah, um, I mean, there's only what three teams that even have 155 Warbucks to pay for. Right, exactly. Like exactly. So then when I watched RFA and I saw how much linebackers are going for, that's when I switched and decided that I either needed to give him the super franchise tag or I needed to trade him. And, you know, trading a quarterback on a zero-year contract makes it tough too because other guys have to tag him then. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, Audrey, sort of looking, sort of flipping back a little bit as well, and sorry, looking at Blake's team as well. If, if you look at the sort of, other defensive tackles he has in the squad. He's got he's got uh, Jeffrey Simmons out of sort of Tennessee, uh, who's what a twenty three year old who had a, quite a good season in two years, and, and then he's got Dayron Payne as well from Washington on a one year deal, and, and those are two both very young sort of defensive tackles mm -hmm. on on contracts to him already. So maybe Blake obviously felt look he's got coverage there at, at defensive tackle, so why not try cash in on someone like Buckner? And, and you'd like to hope that Buckner can get quite a bit but yeah it, it will be interesting to see which of the the, the high stake owners with, with with the sort of budgets to to sort of splash on him will will actually go in or or how early in, in the RFA you'll be sort of uh, nominated right and you could be completely on point with that you know that he he sees his defensive tackles he knows he can start those other two week in and week out but I think I would be disappointed if I didn't get at least 100 for Buckner just because of yeah. how good he is. And there's five teams in PP that don't even have 100 Warbucks. Yeah. So you're kind of minimizing what you might be be getting for him. But then again, you know, there, there are teams who are so short-stacked that they didn't use um, tags or, you know, other teams that didn't even have guys to put there. Um which, like you said, Matt, they do generate a profit for the most part. I was looking at RFA a little bit today, and I saw a couple that only went for uh, a couple of Warbucks. I think Pigskin's Matt only got four for his comp tag. I think Silverback's Matt only got like two for his comp tag. So that that's rough too. I mean, you spent 10 to put the guy out there, and then you don't even get paid off. It, it, it does kind of turn you off to utilizing that tag. But it also depends on what kind of guy you put out there. So putting Buckner out there or a Jimmy G out there is probably smart because you should get at least 10. And if any owner lets someone else get one of those guys for nine or less Warbucks, then, you know, that guy should go to Vegas and start playing some slots because that <laughs> that is straight luck. You know, there's no way those guys should go that cheap. 
Yeah, but at the same time, you lose any power to control that auction. I did exactly. it with Chris Carson last year, thinking I was going to get maybe 60-plus for a starting running back, you know, back when Chris Carson was the starter. And turns out, really, nobody was interested in a running back, or at least in Chris Carson in that case. When you only have two bidders bidding on your comp tag, and then the one drops out, and it's only at 35, you're kind of stuck with what you're stuck with at that point. And if I had known going into it that Chris Carson was only going to go for 35, I wouldn't have contacted him. I would have bid on him myself. So right. you do give up a lot of power stepping back. And, you know, yeah. Nathan, like you mentioned a guy like Fournette, where maybe if he's the price is right, you're going to want him back on your roster. Um, so in that case, maybe the contact isn't the best decision, even if there is a slight profit to be made. Yeah. Right, which is why it's kind of smart in your case with Fournette to not comp him. Because if things work well and he is cheap, like you said, and you can just match, bring him back, and you can get some RB1 weeks out of him, then you maximize your profit, which, you know, that's that's the whole point of why we do this for, you know, victories like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as other surprising ones, I mean, not, not really. Um, I was. I think this is the first year I've seen all second round transition tags. Um, I think in the past it's there's been quite a few third rounders. Um, I'm interested why the change in that. I, I'm not certain what happened, um, but going through the the forum when I noticed that, and then you know seeing it again here that I didn't miss any. Um, that's a little surprising to me. Yeah, I, I think I think we've all kind of figured out the value basis at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think people are getting smarter um, in, in terms of what tags are worth and what to do with them. I'm with you. Cole Beasley was another, like, what's going on here? But <laughs> that, that was a bad one. But other than that, I think there's a lot of smart tags. Everyone kind of feels like they're in the right place for the most part. You can kind of even almost start to tell which franchise tags are going to get nominated and which aren't. Um, but they're yeah. right around the value line. So I think it's it's a lot of smart decisions. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess just one more one more note that I have. Um, PP utilized all of their franchise tags and RR declined with five teams. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, a case of the stacks. I don't know if that's a case of not having players worthy of a franchise tag or, or what that is, but that's uh, that's an odd thing to me to see as well, because all the other um, tags are pretty consistent. You know, two, two declines on the comp in PP and three declines in RR, everybody using the extension, one decline in each conference on the transition tag, uh, super franchise tag, five declines in both conferences. And then you see that franchise tag with zero declines and then five declines. So big difference. Not sure why that is. Don't know if maybe you guys have any, any guesses on that. Just, yeah, just sort of looking from a newbie sort of perspective. If, if you see a few of the teams that did sort of decline a franchise tag in, in the RR, um, what the Lafayette Unicorns, uh, Thief of Unforgiven, and, and, and the Windy City Blitz, th they obviously use that money that I imagine they would have thought on a franchise tag on their super franchise tag, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the franchise tag this year. Um, 
So I don't know if that was a factor to them, whereas they just felt they couldn't uh, throw out 150 war bucks at a, a super franchise tag and a franchise tag this year. So they just went with the with their main uh, the main guy. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only real uh, reason I could see those teams sort of declining on the franchise tag as opposed to as opposed to in the, in the PP where, as you say, everyone uh, executed or at least utilized the the franchise tag. Yeah, and that makes sense, actually. Looking at those three teams, had they not used a super franchise tag on Kamara, Tyreek, Will, Tyreek Hill, or Patrick well, Mahomes, I mean, those are guys that are obviously going to get nominated under the franchise tag because you would definitely be looking to spend, you know, war bucks and, and just one first-round pick to acquire those guys um, because, you know, in, in a in – a, redraft league those guys are going quite toward you know towards the top right now and probably for the next couple of years yet too so um but yeah that makes sense you know and then seeing what little stack they have 72 71 and 72 respectively so um they would really be handcuffing themselves in in bidding i, th I think also from the outset and uh and, and hodgy you need to actually correct me here if i'm wrong because i'm gonna Blow a little bit of smoke up Matt's uh, arse here, but um, but but I, I I think what is intimidating in that RR is obviously that that Rottweiler Riverside four hundred ninety five war bucks, and I think I think I think for any team to leave any player on a franchise tag in the RR is high risk. Uh, there's there's going to come a, a day that I'm sure Matt will eventually spend his war bucks, and and, and that day any person's franchise tag is is, is literally on the chopping block. Um, whereas opposed to the franchise, the PP, look, you still have the Tremors and you still have the Falcons. You, you do have quite quite a considerable amount, but but yeah, it, it, it's nothing compared to obviously what Matt has in the RR, which I imagine will will sort of incentivize you or at least uh, push you to to make sure that you keep your guy as opposed to risking him and uh, on a franchise tag. Yeah, um, I guess a couple things. Um to take note of with, with Matt's huge um, advantage in the Warbucks. Um, I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of all of um, RFA for RR, so I can quickly look back to past years. Um, Matt has never used a super franchise tag. Never this will. is only the second franchise tag that he's used in um, four years. So he's had two years where he blatantly skipped out on a super franchise tag and a franchise tag. He skipped transition tags before. Um, so obviously that helps in, in building that stack. But the second thing is, um, I, I believe going into RFA last year, he had about 518 Warbucks, which was pretty large compared to most other owners. Um, some were a bit higher than last year, you know, say maybe take what they have this year and add about 50 to it. Um, and that's probably where owners were at. And he really didn't spend much because as you see, he's still, you know, he, he's still at that 495. No, he didn't use a super franchise tag this year, but this might be the first year too, where there's some serious talent on the board for him to spend that. Yeah. But RFA last year was, pretty good and he really didn't spend much either so if he decides to take another year off of, of any high spending the 
the range that he has or the advantage that he has over all other owners is just going to continue to grow, you know, and it, it, it could be, you know, by an average of 50 more a year, you know, we might all be half of our, R might be sitting at 50 or less next year. And he's at the same spot right around 500. So yeah. that could get really scary. Yeah. And that's yeah. the goal, right? Like, I don't, my personal perspective is it's scary having, you know, basically I can take any franchise tag I want and just take them and I'll bid anyone. But at the yeah. same time, people know that I'm really not going to spend that because it's not my core strategy. And it's really easy to kind of just, you know, franchise tag a player and says, okay, who has enough war bucks to bid on this guy? And it's really only the Rottweilers and like two other teams. So if the Rottweilers doesn't need that position, like you're going to be pretty safe on your franchise tag. So it makes it easy and hard, but I think that the most important part is that they have to look at the Rottweilers. And my biggest thing is, I haven't gone fully into the strategy and stuff yet, but like there's a lot of other things broken with this economy where if people have to look at the Rottweilers before making a trade or moving Warbucks around, I think that gives you a really big advantage when it comes to trading players and moving assets around where people have to say, okay, this guy's going to give me, you know, X four bucks for this player. Well, what would the Rottweilers give me? And so almost everyone has to look at Rottweilers and and say that. And of course the flip side is some people hate me and they're just going to ignore me in any way. But I, I think the value over time balances out where you at least have in the back of your mind have to consider like, Hey, what would the Rottweilers give me? Ooh, what are the Rottweilers going to do in this scenario? And I think that gives you a lot of power. Yep. Yeah. And that, you know, if each year you continue to add, you know, say 50 to your advantage, I mean, let's say in two or three years, if you're still around 450 to 500 and the second big stack is under a hundred, I mean, yep. you're going to be able to get talent and not really even spend that much because nobody can match the bid and that's it's all percentages game it's all yep. the percentages yep yep and that's where the yearly allotment of 225 and then usually using all your tags as 205 if you use a second round transition tag you know really you're only gaining 20 war bucks a year as a short stack if you're utilizing all your tags yep. yeah once you get on the bottom it's real hard to get back on top without yep. blowing up your roster, cop tagging a guy who's really good and making – that's their biggest way out, I think. If any teams have a panic button, it's cop tag your best guy. and Or in Nathan's case, he was lucky enough to have a dispersal as an advantage where you can take a bunch of first, you know, future firsts. Yep. But they're yep. really – you're going to run out of panic buttons if you're a short stack and you have a bad roster. A couple bad injuries, guys take a wrong turn in their careers – you're going to be stuck on the bottom for a while. And I think we're already starting to see that a little bit in RR, which is, yeah. which is good because this is, this is the strategy that I was going for with hoarding the war box. <laughs> and I guess just to, just to circle back for you, Nathan, the, the packs of war bucks that you took in the dispersal, I think are worth more than they would be in RR. You're yeah, taking those yeah. in a PP dispersal with how those totals are spread out with 266 being the high. That 34 is such a larger percent of that 266 than it would be of Matt's 495. Yeah. Well, th- th- that's exactly what I was thinking is, is 
yeah, not not just that Matt that Matt situation as well in the RR, but but the reality for me was I was adamant that I was hopefully not going to be using a fra- super franchise tag or as very few tags as possible. So that's why I thought if there is a year or a chance to try and get ahead or at least start with with a good stack or a good sort of wallback sort of kitty is is to go heavy on on first round picks to get as many um, to get as many wallbacks as I sort of can as early as I can to a certain extent, but also not take players that I'm going to need to super franchise tag or at least tag at any sense to to hopefully start off with young base with enough wallbacks and with enough picks to sort of build around. Yep, exactly. And that's why contracts are so important as well. Yeah. Because as long as you guys, if, if you have guys under control, you already can tell just in the dispersal, the value is worth more and you don't have to worry about tags with those players. They're, they're basically, a, you know, a free space on your board and it's one less headache for you. So nailing contracts is, is one of the biggest parts of roster wars. And that's why yeah. you'll always hear Matt talk about he likes the longer contracts because of that. It, it's basically the free space. He doesn't have to worry about it then. Yeah. And the value exactly. on those players is so much more. I mean, even just the fact of from a talent perspective, you were Kyler ahead of Herbert, but you paused just because Herbert had two more years. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. It, it really is. It increases so much value. Um, so Definitely something to think about um, in in contract assigning time is getting those guys on the right um, contracts. Um, you'll hear me talk about um, going all the way up to the 120 contract um, limit. Um, I like to do that. A lot of guys stick around like 105, but I maximize those contracts as much as I can because I don't want to have to worry about losing guys. If I'm getting the guys I like, I want to keep those guys. And obviously, I don't have many Warbucks to save these guys or or match in, in RFA. So my only saving grace at this point is assigning contracts that that can match the talent I want on my team. So a um, lot yeah. of strategy. Um, Nathan, thank you for, for taking us through your thoughts on the dispersal and, and your tags. Uh, Matt, as always, thank you for uh, producing this and, and hosting it for us. Um, and... You know, that's, that's a wrap. Um, can't wait for RFA to start. Um, yeah. Maybe we can get another one uh, on here after RFA, Matt, before the rookie draft. Um, and then we can we can get on and, and talk rookie draft after that ends as well. Um, so for Matt, for Nathan, thanks for listening. Um, and that's a wrap. <laughs>